The pandemic changed a lot about the world, but it hasn't stopped ransomware. We discuss the latest threat and what you need to know in order to stay safe. This is the Cyber24 Podcast presented by Valcom. And welcome to the Cyber24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping businesses and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. We also take a look at interesting cybersecurity stories and trends in the news and help make sense of them and see, well, help you see what lessons you can take from cybersecurity incidents other organizations experience. My name is Marty Carpenter. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and general problem solving, and I'm joined today by our panel of cybersecurity experts of one, Dan Schuyler from Valcom. Dan, how you doing, man? Good. Happy New Year. Yeah, ha- Happy New Year to you as well. I know we're a couple of weeks into the new year, but this is the first time we've had a chance to, to get together. So uh, glad to hear everyone had a good holiday and uh, it's good to be back, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Our topic this week, a new ransomware threat. According to published reports, the FBI has warned businesses that, and I want to make sure I'm saying this right, Dan, before I even get this far, I'm saying egregor. It looks like egregor to me, right? Looks looks that way to me yeah, too. I'm sure there's five different ways you can pronounce it, but the FBI has warned businesses that this new ransomware operation, which we're calling egregor, E-G-R-E-G-O-R, is actively targeting and extorting businesses across the globe. egregor claims to have already hit and compromised more than 150 victims since the agency first observed this malicious activity back in September of 2020. So I guess, Dan, you know, to the extent that you know, what is it that's so different about egregor? How does it work and why is it a problem right, that's that's growing in intensity? So think of egregor as like the Swiss army knife of ransomware tools um, because it has different ways of uh, infiltrating your organization. And so it's become the, well, it's it's become the de facto tool now for hackers to launch a ransomware attack because it is that Swiss army knife of ransomware tools. And so um, that's why it's gained in popularity because it's so sophisticated in its ability to compromise your uh, network through different uh, attack vectors. And anytime the hackers can get their hands on a solution that has a high success rate, they're going to go for it. Yeah. When you say Swiss Army knife, so whatever whatever they're starting with, whatever the sort of their their source code, so to speak, they then can customize that to have all kinds of different iterations of types of attacks or to to go target different attack vectors. So eGregor has a bunch of different tools um, and methods built into it for targeting a business's network. Um, it uses Cobalt Strike, QuickBot, um, advanced IP scanners, et cetera, et cetera. And it uses these tools to find the quickest, easiest way to infiltrate a business's network and launch a ransomware attack. And so that's why it's become the Swiss Army knife for the hackers to use because it's so uh, multifaceted. It's got really um, complex tools built into it. And it has a high success rate of establishing a foothold in an organization's network in order to launch a ransomware attack. And so that's why it's become so successful and so widely used. And hackers are 
abandoning other tools uh, in favor of eGregor because it's so successful and it works so well. Yeah. When you, when you say that it finds the quickest and easiest way to attack. So we've always said, hey, you're only as secure as your weakest link. This is basically like in the game of Red Rover or something on the old playground. This picks out the weakest kid pretty easily, right? It helps them find like, that's where I'm going. Yeah, that's the better way of describing it. It's looking for the vulnerabilities that it can exploit. So it's it's choosing a different it's choosing different attack vectors, testing them out, and when it finds the one that it can get uh, and exploit uh, the vulnerability, then that's what it uses to get into your network. And like I said, there's a variety of different uh, attack vectors that it uses, but it is successful because it has. Um, that complexity built into it and those tools built into it to find those potential vulnerabilities in your network. It must have a lot of iterations and a lot of different ways that it can sort of be customized for each type of attack because you would normally think, as you said, that hackers are sort of uh, drifting toward using this. There's more and more are starting to use this egregor set up as opposed to whatever their other tools have been in the past normally you would say well if they're all starting to use one thing that will make it easier to you know figure out how to stop them but if if the tool they're using is some kind of super swiss army knife you never know what type of configuration of that particular tool they're going to use so it, it does not necessarily make it any easier for uh you know for those those who combat cybercrime to uh, make any progress against hackers in this case? Well, clearly it makes it a lot more, more difficult for sure, but if eGregor uh, is available to um, white hat hackers as well. And so those are that are defending the castle, they can look at the different um, tools that eGregor is using and say, okay, um, we need to defend our organization against this tool set and patch some of those vulnerabilities. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find all of the vulnerabilities because every organization is different and that's what eGregor does. It does a lot of IP scanning, uh, et cetera, et cetera, to find those vulnerabilities in your network and then it tr- to try to exploit those to get a foothold and then to launch the ransomware attack. But through quote unquote reverse engineering, looking at the tool set, the the white hat hackers, the defenders of the castle can um, help to shore up their security posture in order to defend against eGregor. But it's not a, a panacea. Clearly, um, eGregor has been a successful ransomware attack tool that um, will continue to be used by the hacking community. I thought it was really fascinating. And I know I'm, I'm usually the one on this show who jumps to the business side of this. And uh, so a couple of questions here. One, uh, from some of the stuff I read about this, it sounds like this is what's termed ransomware as a service, which is so funny to me because software is a service and then there's a ransomware as a service that it's sort of its own little industry. Um, but that uh, distributing ransom payments, like whoever's behind this ends up doing sort of a 70-30 split on the revenue taken with their, with their, uh, with eGregor. So that to me is just so fascinating that you can not only sort of uh, be so blatant uh, about the the criminal activity, but then to go so far as to say, well, and here's our business model. You know, it's a 70-30 split. Here's where we differentiate ourselves in the ransomware as a service market. I just think it would, it's probably very surprising to a lot of business leaders and probably to a lot of elected officials to know that there's an industry essentially operating 
in in such a destructive sector of the society. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we're likely to continue to see ransomware as a service grow because it is so successful because it's really uh, taking advantage of the hacker community and gathering the hacker community around a tool set and a bunch of different tools that they can utilize to launch a ransomware attack. Yeah. So what does the future look like here if if Egregor and you know whatever iteration comes after this continues to be able to pick out here's your weakest link as a business? I can go in and find you're going to have some vulnerability and this is going to help me expedite the process of finding it. Uh, what kind of counsel can you give to businesses other than just don't have don't have a kid on, on the Red Rover line who can get picked on? Um, so the article lays out a couple different mitigation strategies or mitigation me- measures that organizations can um, can implement. One area that it focuses on heavily is backing up critical data, especially backing it up offline. And that is definitely one of the recommendations we make to all organizations regarding their, their critical data, their mission critical data, regardless of the type of attack, ransomware or somebody that breaks into your network, is you want to have a backup of your mission critical data that is stored off-site and would not be accessible to anybody who breaches your network or would uh, be vulnerable to a ransomware attack. So that's clearly the number one recommendation. Um, the three-two-one backup philosophy: three backups, two different types of media, with one um, off-site and isolated from your ne- network. That's not a panacea, though. You don't want to just say, well, I've got, an, I've got a nice isolated backup, so I'm protected from a ransomware attack. Uh, clearly, that's not the approach you want to take. It's one component of an overall strategy against ransomware or defending your organization and protecting your organization from ransomware. Each organization, and we've talked about this uh, time and time again, has unique data security needs. And so the best way to defend your organization is clearly have the basic security solutions in place, email security, endpoint security, vulnerability management, et cetera, et cetera. But because every organization has unique data security needs, you want to do uh, an assessment of your security posture to determine where your vulnerabilities are and then remediate those gaps and vulnerabilities. That's the number one recommendation I would make to any organization that wants to improve its overall security posture, including um, security against ransomware, defending your organization, protecting your organization against ransomware, is doing that security assessment to identify those gaps and vulnerabilities. Yeah, a fundamental lesson here for a business leader, if you had to leave it with them, is probably clearly the hackers are growing more and more sophisticated, not only in their operation and their tactics, but in their business setup as well. And uh, these guys are, are playing for keeps and they mean business. So it's definitely uh, a, a worthwhile endeavor to beef up and make sure that you have the right security measures in place. All right, time to take a break. But first, a reminder, the Cyber 24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right from ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. 
Listen, IT leaders, I know how hard it is to manage your security posture. With dozens of different security technologies that vary in process, application, and response, wouldn't it be nice if you had security baked right into your actual server hardware? HPE's Gen 10 servers offer exactly that. As Utah's biggest HPE Platinum partner, Valcom believes that your server infrastructure should be a priority in your defensive strategy. Protect your organization with innovations in firmware protection, malware detection, and firmware recovery, right down to the silicone. Learn more and check out Valcom's on-demand webinar with HPE at vlcm.com slash server dash security. That's vlcm.com slash server dash security. While many of us give our office printers human names like Becky, George, or Linda, did you ever imagine that your printer could self-heal like a human? HP Enterprise Printer can detect and self-heal from malware, and because they have the industry's only upgradable firmware, new security features can be added over time. HP printers allow you to set, configure, and automatically maintain over 200 printer security settings with their Jet Advantage Security Manager. Valcom is proud to partner with recognized de facto industry standard for printing. Secure your printers now at vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. That's vlcmtech.com slash print dash copy. All right, welcome back to the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom. We continue our discussion with Dan Schuyler from Valcom, the cybersecurity architect, Dan Schuyler. Uh, always good to have his insight. Uh, I don't want to take this off on a political spin because that's not what this podcast is about. Uh, and certainly people who are interested in political content can go find that elsewhere. But uh, it just, uh, you know, not too long ago, we had... Uh, I, riots uh, at the U.S. Capitol, people breaking into the U.S. Capitol. We all saw the images, the uh, images of people, you know, breaking onto the uh, to the Senate floor and to get into offices. There was a the one guy who got into Speaker Pelosi's office and had his picture taken, and people who got into other offices. And you know, again. I don't want to rehash what happened there other than I think there is a cybersecurity element to it. And and one that maybe sometimes we don't talk about enough or frequently enough, and that's the element of physical security. So, you know, the Capitol is generally a very secure facility. I mean, there's an element, it's less secure, I'd say, than the White House because people go in and out of the White House and you can sort of take towards the White House, but it's very restricted, very hard to do, right? And the White House is smaller, whereas the Capitol is more of the people's house and there are, you know, there, there's there's a, a visitor center and things like that that are there. So people are at the Capitol, but the, the areas with the offices um, are still pretty restricted areas. And so for people to gain access to the Capitol and, you know, have no security there, no staffers there, everyone who's kind of fled out of the building, um, you know, we, we saw images of people looking at, documents that were on the Senate floor, documents in offices. There were computers there that weren't locked as they left. You know, you know, people leave in a hurry. They don't necessarily stop and think, well, I, I should secure my computer right now. So I, I just think it was a really interesting. And, I, and I'm wondering if if you watched people gain access and, and, and thought about all the cybersecurity information, security concerns because of what you do for a living. Like, when, did that occur to you as you watched that? Like, of course, there's the thing that you're an American and you watch it and said, oh my gosh, what's going on here? But just because of what you do, Dan, did you have that moment where you're like, man, I wonder if anybody logged off those computers or I wonder what kind of data might be sitting around that these people suddenly have access to? Or did that not even occur? 
No, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a great question. And, and while we never thought we would see um, a riot and, and people breaking into the U.S. Capitol, uh, you would think that there would be security measures in place. So if something like this did happen, if there was any confidential or classified information, there would be some process or procedures in place to quickly hide that information, if you will, like you just mentioned, being able to quickly log off your computer or um, store that those documents in a secure bin or something uh, instead of just leaving them out in the open. Um, because yes, the Capitol is open. I've taken tours of the Capitol and walked the hallways and walked by um, the Speaker of the House's office. And you're just one door separating you from the ability to go into their office and have access to their computer or what's on their desk. So I don't know, and this article sort of alludes to it a little bit, the security processes that are in place, but I'm, I'm hopeful that um, there were some security processes in place that uh, hopefully mitigated any potential access to sensitive data. Uh, and clearly, if not, then this is a great lesson learned <laughs> yeah. for yeah. what they're going to need to do in the future. But we don't know. I don't know in this article. I'm sure this article doesn't know for, for certain um, what those security pr procedures and processes are. I have to imagine there are some in place. Did they Were they effective in, in this case? It appears that maybe they weren't. But again, this this is definitely a great uh, exercise on what to do in the future. Yeah. One of the nice things I think for people who may have had some concerns about this is to know that while we think of it as Congress, right, or the House of Representatives or the Senate, uh, that those aren't like, they don't work just like a company does, right? They're the, each Senator's office, each representative's office is essentially its own little organization and they get their IT set up, uh, differently. And so in fact, I remember, uh, this is a fun little nerdy political fact, but when Senator Mike Lee was elected, his office, I believe was the first one in the history of the Senate to decide that we're going to be an Apple office. And they set up with all Apple products from, I mean, this is back, you know, Blackberry days for a lot of people still, and certainly on, on Capitol Hill. So they're each individual little offices that run sort of their own little uh, IT services. And uh, while there's some connection between them, just because you break into, you know, say the Speaker of the House's office, doesn't mean you actually, you suddenly have access to data for all of the representatives' offices, so there there is some segmentation there, and maybe that's a lesson to be learned for business leaders. Yeah, I mean, the article said that, and there's clearly network segmentation between the House and Senate, which is which is great. It's a great uh, security control, a great boundary layer, if you will, between the House and Senate, and it does provide an extra layer of security. But the article said, well, if somebody gives, gains access to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's email, that doesn't mean that they have access to anybody else's email. Well, that may be true, but that they gained access to anybody anybody's email in Congress, they could use that to launch, and we've talked about this numerous times, a phishing campaign against other members or anybody within anybody in, in the contact list uh, of that particular email account. So they may not have access to other people's email accounts, but they could launch a phishing attack against 
other email accounts. Yeah. This is a good uh, time to not have your password on a sticky note on your monitor for certain. Yes. Let's hope that, uh, let's hope they weren't doing that. That's right. All <laughs> right. As we wrap up this week, Dan, let's uh, take a moment for everybody's favorite segment. What's cool this week. Are you ready? Do you, you got something in mind? You're all set. Yeah, I, I do. I do. All right. Well, Dan, I'll ask you then what's cool this week. So it's not necessarily new this week. It's it's a couple weeks old, but uh, we did have the holiday break. But Apple um, introduced a couple new products, the MacBook Air and the Mac Mini with uh, the new M1 chip, which is based on the ARM architecture. And when they first announced it, they made some lofty projections on its performance compared to comparable Macs with Intel-based chips. And there was a lot of uh, people in the community, um, the, the IT community that were doubting the performance figures that Apple was touting. And they weren't providing a lot of specifications. They were just saying, you know, it's much faster and the charts were kind of ambiguous. But since that time, those M1 chips um, uh, have been um, thoroughly tested and the performance is astounding. And uh, it's Clearly, the performance is better than the comparable Intel chips that Apple's been using. And that's primarily the reason why Apple has chosen to go with the ARM architecture is because they are able to dictate how those chips are made from an architectural standpoint. And Apple wants to continue to innovate. And I think they felt like with Intel's chips, that they were being stymied. I mean, they were making these iterative steps, but no huge performance gains. And the jury, the verdict is in. These M1 chips are absolutely fantastic. They are smoking Intel on, on a performance level. And it's likely that Apple will announce some more products this year that have um, the M1-based architecture. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see the performance that these uh, new products have, but uh, it, that was that was a a clear game changer in the chip market when Apple made that announcement, and then the follow up of the testing. It's just been pretty amazing to see the performance that these chips are are providing, yeah. and not so, only performance so, but efficiency. Yeah. Where you know the MacBook Air, you can now get twenty hours of battery life. I mean that's unheard of. I mean I think the best battery life prior to twenty hours was eight hours. And now you can go 20 hours uh, running the MacBook Air full throttle and it doesn't heat up uh, and you're getting 20 hours of battery life. That's astonishing. So not only are you getting this incredible performance, but you're also getting, getting this incredible efficiency as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Just when you think things can't get faster or we've hit some kind of limit. Somebody goes and figures out how to do it better. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, uh, hey, exactly. That's that's very cool, and we'll count it for this week, even though it was a couple of weeks ago. But I, 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 this is one of my first shows that we've done post Christmas, so I wanted to save this because I did a show last week by myself, uh, talking about uh, communication and crisis communication when you have a security breach. But I wanted to save the what's cool this week for when someone was here to really appreciate it. So you'll hopefully appreciate this. This right here, and I'm holding it up because Dan can see me on Zoom. Nobody else can. Is the Mighty Mug, okay? It's just one of those, you know, 
plastic mugs, tumbler things that you can drink out of, keep your water for the day or whatever. Now I'm going to try to show you Dan, because I, I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you'll be able to see, but if I set it straight down on my desk, okay. A non porous surface, just a regular desk and I hit it, it won't tip over doesn't tip over. I mean, if I really punch it, it might, but like just in the normal, like you would knock over your drink, not going to tip over. If I lift it straight up, it comes right up, set it down. Can't knock it over. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It was 20 bucks, mighty mug. And, uh, you know, it's like a 20 ounce thing, something like that. Set it down. If I move it, if I bump it at the base, it will slide. But if I bump it up higher where you would normally, you know, knock a glass over, it's right there. So I keep this one on my desk because it keeps my keyboard and all my electronics here safe. Uh, and uh, I got to tell you, one thing that's cool this week is the Mighty Mug. So go check it out. If you're if you're the person who occasionally is prone to a streak of clumsiness and will knock a drink over, uh, this is a good way to go. I found it to be really cool and haven't spilled a drop since. I have spilled, you know, I, I have a glass of water on my desk so I can drink it. And I have knocked that over before um so the mighty mug looks really cool i'm gonna have to check it out 20 bucks i mean you know it's not not bad at all and you get them in a bunch of different colors or whatever so i i that's that's what's cool this week for me i totally recommend it cool very cool all right, Dan, thanks so much for your time. Uh, as we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com, valcom.com. Uh, to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more, that's vlcm.com. I also want to thank our supporting partners, the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute, our friends at Secuvant, the Utah Attorney General's Office, and the Utah Department of Public Safety. You can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore or follow us on Facebook. You can also go find us on LinkedIn now. Go check our, out our company page on LinkedIn. Find us at Cyber24. You can hit us up in any of those places and let us know what you think. Or if you have a topic you'd like to discuss on a future episode, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks everyone for tuning in and stay safe online.